freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roar, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Oh yeah, good morning. Hello, it is the Brock and Salk Show. Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports app. Thanks for being with us today and you can find us on those podcast platforms as well if you like to catch a show a little bit later in the day or maybe even at night or whatever it is whatever time that suits you and your schedule just want to be helpful just want to be there for you whenever you need us so uh that's how we roll um accommodating as always yeah we try i mean uh we try to try to just fit into whatever your life needs that's uh infiltrate we infiltrate your life. Yeah, we just try to infiltrate your life and, and grow and every on every time of day. Go with more like a company. Yeah, grow on you like a virus. Yeah, until okay. there's no other part of your life left, just Great. us. Um, I feel that way sometimes about sports. I'm just like, ah, oh, it's infiltrated my life, and there's just there's no other parts left. I need to need to back away from some of this at times. Um, Watch Mariners yesterday. I'll start there. Although I, I got a lot of Seahawks stuff today, but. Um, Watch the Mariners game yesterday. You can't get upset, right? I mean, they just went eight and two on a road trip, bookended by sort of frustrating losses that had some similarities, right? Where they came back, but then ultimately blew it in the ninth inning. So, you know, sort of interesting that those are sort of the two bookends on what was an eight game winning streak in the middle of this 10 game road uh, road trip. And the only thing I, you know, I, I found myself thinking about two things last night. Was I worried about the bats? No, they've been hitting the heck out of the ball. I'm not going to worry because they got shut down for a little while by Michael Kopech, who, you know, had no command whatsoever, but has very good stuff. And you can kind of see that yesterday, right? Like if, if you had any objection to the way the Mariners played yesterday, they probably could have been even more patient, right? I mean, he just seemed like at times he had no idea where the ball was going, but I guess that's what you would call effectively wild, Right. Like he didn't know where it was going. They didn't know where it was going. And Hard to have a strategy they were in fear out. of being hit. Yeah. I mean, he was drilling people left and right. The ball slipping out of his hands. It's 120 degrees and humid on the yeah. field. All you want to do is get off the uh, field. There were like no more than 12 people in the stands. That that might have been the most sparsely attended game I've seen outside of Oakland. That's a that's a problem, obviously, in Chicago. But all of that kind of set it aside. The bats were, you know, not the best, but kind of come back late in the game and do your thing. Credit to Rojas for the bunt that uh, drove in a run. That was a really nice play. And at the time, I'm you know, a little concerned about Caballero stealing third. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm stealing third down three runs, but it ended up paying off, right? And they get that run and they chip away and they come up with a couple more in the ninth. And the next thing you know, they're leading that game, which is unbelievable, right? Super exciting going to the ninth. And they go to Andres Munoz. <clears throat> Surprised. Let's let's yeah. start with that. Okay. Where's Matt Brash yesterday? That was my first thought. That's a little concerning to me, and <clears throat> certainly it's a question we can ask Jerry Depoto later. I didn't. I, I didn't. I fell asleep right after the game, so I didn't see or hear anything that happened afterwards. W- was there a conversation about Matt Brash's health or or where he was? It didn't, seemed yeah, odd. I didn't hear one. I was, I was not. It was one of those games I was kind of driving around listening when I could, so I didn't get to hear any of it. I, I, I thought, same thought. I was pretty surprised. He hadn't pitched in a few days. <clears throat> uh, Munoz had pitched the day before. 
They've been a little concerned. Remember Jerry with us last week saying, oh, Munoz had to get up and down two days in a row. That was a little new for him. Okay. Where's Matt Brash? Why, why wasn't he in there to close that out? Hey, right. And what did Munoz throw like? Two or three pitches the day before. So it hadn't been a lot, right. but like, I mean, you're you can right. sort of go through and, and there's a few ways you can take the fact that Munoz was in the game. I kind of have three things about it. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with my, <laughs> excuse me. Speaking of uh, virus. There we on. go. Oh, Nothing I feel much better here. now. Nothing to see. Feel much better. Thank you. <laughs> three things on Munoz. One, where was Matt Brash? Two, you can go back a game. And say, all right, Sacedo comes into that one and unfortunately couldn't get the third out in the ninth inning and brought the tying run to the plate. And eventually Scott was like, "Uh, no more. I'm going to the dude who throws 98. Okay. Well, guess what? That may have had an effect on the win yesterday. Of course, he comes in and closes it out on Wednesday or Tuesday, excuse me. But does that then have an effect on him the next day, which causes him to blow a save, which ends up being a huge problem? I'm not blaming Scott for bringing in uh, for bringing in Munoz the day before. What I'm saying is when when one guy struggles, the butterfly effect on down the line, the chain reaction can be fairly significant. And I think you saw it yesterday with Munoz having to come into the game second day in a row. Okay, fine. The last one for me, and this is the most concerning, although. I guess the first one's a little concerning, too. What's going on with Andres Munoz? Like, And I don't mean results. The results have not been spectacular. But I'm talking about like what we're watching. Just the eye test. What's going on with Andres Munoz? What was 100 to 103 is now 98 to 100. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, 98 to 100? Pretty Still impressive. Plays. Plays. Most people can't throw the ball 98 to 100 miles an hour. But he used to be able to throw it faster than that. Why is that velocity down two to four miles an hour? That's a concern to me. But it's not as big a concern as the fact that his slider right now is average at best. Think about the Andres Munoz at at his absolute best. And think about the bite on that slider. And then think about the hanging ball that he threw yesterday that got Pummeled on an 0-2 count. Oof. There were some really bad pitches yesterday. There were some good ones, right? I'm not sitting here telling you the guy stinks. I don't believe that. But there is something not quite right with Andres Munoz, and it's been that way for the last well, week or two. Mm-hmm. The For the bullpen availability yesterday... I'm looking at just the numbers of pitches that the every everybody had thrown. Matt Brash had thrown 23 pitches in the last three days. Munoz had thrown 15. But his his 23 had been two games early, right? In the last three days. Yeah. Okay. So you have. I mean, both of them should have been available. And my assumption was that Brash, who seemed to have been handling this a little bit better than Munoz, would have been the guy they went to. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe just Scott decided he wanted to go with Munoz instead of Brash. Maybe they liked the matchup better. Although you would think both guys match up pretty similarly against anybody, since they have fairly similar stuff. They both throw 98 mile an hour fastballs with ridiculous sliders. Like, they should be pretty similar in who they match up against. You get an opportunity to win that game. I would have expected it to be brash. If it's a if it's a manager's decision, no problem. Hey, Scott gets that call, and you know what? I'm willing to trust the guy when it comes to you know handling a bullpen because he's been as good at it as anybody has been over the last few years. But if it's because brash wasn't 
wasn't quite ready, et cetera. Well, it's a very different conversation because now all of a sudden you start looking at this bullpen and saying, geez, you guys are, are down a few guys, right? I mean, you trade Seawald, you're down Penn Murphy. If, if Brash is not 100% or whatever the case may be, and I am absolutely recklessly speculating here based on the fact that he wasn't in the game yesterday and Munoz doesn't look like he needs to. Well, those are like, you know, your top four bullpen guys coming into the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, especially at the same time when you're looking at your starting rotation and saying um, it's thin. It's it's reached the limit. It's been stretched as far as it can be stretched in terms of, of injuries to their starting pitchers. They don't have anybody after this. It's Tommy Malone. They don't have any more dudes. Tommy Malone's capable pitcher in Major League Baseball, I think, for a couple of spot starts. But if you're talking about using him, you know, Every five games down the stretch, well, that's a little different. Am I cool with Tommy Malone for two starts in September? Yeah. For five? Probably less so. Right? So I, I just, you know, I don't mean to start off the day Mr. Panic guy, and certainly I am not panicked well. after one loss. It, it's not a panic about the loss. Let me be really clear. You can lose a game like that. Starting with another conspiracy theory, which you did last Thursday, but yours was kind of a positive one last week. Yeah. And that one turned out to be right. Right. Yeah, hopefully one. this one isn't. That was yeah. Hopefully not. You think I want to be right about this? And I'm not saying <laughs> this one isn't even a full conspiracy. It's just a question that comes from. Hey, that's a little weird. I would have expected Brash to have been up and ready in that moment. He was the guy who was better rested, who had pitched, you know, less less often or less recently, and they seem to have expressed some concern about Munoz on back to back days. Maybe that maybe that concern is warranted. By the way. Because what, what I saw yesterday was not the same Andres Munoz that we'd gotten used to. So anyway, they'll uh, take, take the day off. Everybody will get the day off today, which is probably a good thing. Come back tomorrow at home against the Royals and, you know, try to get this thing going again. Lose one, win eight. That's a pretty good uh, way to do Blue it. Blue Jays right? lost. Feel good about that. Astros lost. Blue Jays lost. Everything else kind of came together for them yesterday. So really not too much harm done uh, in the wild card race. All right. Uh, let's see. Coming up, we'll give you everything you need to know, including a few of the details from that game and the absolutely horrifying news for every single baseball fan coming out of Orange County late last night. It's next on Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, not exactly a banner day for the Mariners yesterday as they failed to complete the sweep against the lousy White Sox offense. The problem early, but it was that pesky ninth inning that became a problem late once again. It was good to see them rally, though. Down 3-1 in the ninth, loaded the bases, uh, got one run in on a hit-by-pitch, and then a huge hit from Eugenio Suarez. Now only one out here in the night. Swing and a line shot into center field. That's going to drop in for a base hit. Here comes Raleigh on the score. Crawford rounding third being waved in. The throw in is cut off. No relay to the plate. And the Mariners have the lead on a two-run single by A.U. Hadio Suarez. It's now the Mariners four and the White Sox three. Suarez on a 0-1 pitch. It's a line shot into center field. Scoring Raleigh easily from third, Crawford easily from second. Three runs are in here in the top of the ninth inning. And once again, what an amazing comeback by the Cardiac Kids, your Seattle Mariners. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was at that point, and uh, really great to see them get it done. But unfortunately, they couldn't tack on. It wasn't enough. Andres Munoz couldn't hold it in the ninth. I thought he looked average at best, right? Good fastball, but high 90s, not low 100s. And that slider just continues to have just average bite. And without it, he's not dominant. He's good. Well, good in this case wasn't good enough. They failed to score in the 10th. They lost in a crazy play with a successful pickoff and bounced off the runner's helmet when JP made the throw to third. Game over. Really frustrating. Scott, pretty undaunted, though, after the game. Yeah, our guy's playing great. Uh, up and down the lineup. Uh, Josh Rojas gets three hits today. You know, Gino's been clutch all year long. Uh, it's different guys doing different things um, at key moments in the game. And that's what it takes. You know, uh, we're playing great. Um, you know, with a chance to extend another long winning streak, uh, we'll get home. Uh, we'll start one when we get back home. Certainly they will, and they'll be excited after an 8-2 and two road trip. Toronto, Houston both lose yesterday. They remain in the final wildcard spot. No real changes there. The homestand, as Scott mentioned, will start tomorrow against Kansas City. An opportunity to uh, win eight more in a row. Let's go. That seems to be the thing for this team. Win eight, lose one or two, win eight. And as long as you keep winning eight in a row, probably going to be just fine. Here's the second thing you need to know. This really is horrible news in the baseball world. This announcement made in Anaheim by GM Perry Manassian last night. Obviously, Shohei left the game today. Um, We did imaging in between games. He does have a tear, uh, you know, and he won't pitch the rest of the year. So we're going to get a second opinion, go from there, but it's basically day-to-day. Obviously, he hit. So, um, you know, that's that's where we're at. That's a UCL tear? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a UCL tear. That is just awful. He will in all likelihood need a second Tommy John surgery. It's been about five years since the first one. Kind of three thoughts on this. One, the Angels went all in on this team trying to keep and convince Shohei to stick around and not opt out of his contract. Well, they're 5-16 and 16 in August. They're 5-16 and 16 in August. And by the way, Mike Trout went back to the IL yesterday after being back for only 48 hours. Yikes. Number two, Otani's not going to pitch next year. So in terms of what that does for his value, really hard to say. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to opt out. I guess in theory, he could decide now to stay in Anaheim. I don't think he will. He could try to sign a short-term deal somewhere to try to build back up his value as a pitcher and show that, you know, he can get that $500 million-plus contract that everybody was sort of banking on him getting. Or he may decide that he's still so valuable as a hitter and you can force whoever it is to take a risk on him as a pitcher. Maybe it drops the value enough that some other teams come into play. We'll wait and find out. And then I guess just the third thought here is just the scariness of pitching. The inevitability of injuries at that position. We've talked to both Jeff Passan and John Smoltz about it this week, and they both, you know, have their concerns about the way modern pitching is done and about, you know, banking on your pitching being good forever. The Mariners have lost four starters this year for the season. Four of them. That means you needed at least nine to get through the year. And thankfully for them, they had three kids waiting in the wings, ready to come in one after another after another, who have all looked absolutely ready for prime time. But nine? Like, is that really what it takes to get through a major league season? That is quite the commentary on how to build a roster moving forward. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Now we are creeping up here to the uh, third and final preseason game. Saturday, 10 a.m. in Green Bay. I don't know how many starters are going to end up playing in this one, but one guy who I thought looked real ready when we saw him the other day was Ken Walker. He looked fantastic at practice. That's feel good. It's a big difference between year one and year two. I know they said that a lot, but I, I was like, I kind of don't believe it, but like, I'm real comfortable now. I don't have to think as much. It's like it's kind of easier to think now. You know, I feel like I had to get in a lot of games to do that. But since I played in a, a lot of games, I feel like I'm more comfortable now. And I feel like that's where the growth. Well, if he's more confident and feeling better and more prepared than last year, that sounds like a pretty good sign. Uh, I also wonder if they'll end up signing a veteran wide receiver, just looking around and saying, okay, if the season starts today, you've got your two starting wide receivers and then Jake Bobo. So it wouldn't surprise me if there is a veteran out there who gets cut. The Seahawks have some interest in a guy who could come in right away and just sort of help them at that position. The other thing I saw yesterday, uh, both you guys sent this over, was the CBS piece on potential trade candidates. And you know, looking through it, a lot of those guys were running backs, probably not a, a need or a fit here in Seattle. But one guy that kind of jumped out to me was Patriots defensive tackle Lawrence Guy. 33 years old. He's looking to get paid a little bit, so maybe that would change, you know, how how you view him. But he's a six foot four, three hundred and fifteen or so pound defensive tackle. More would he be a fit here? I would think so. Looks like a looks like a guy playing a position they absolutely need. So mm-hmm. there you go. That's everything you need to know. We do that quarter pass to every hour here. On the Brock and Salk show, I should also mention that, uh, yeah, the San Francisco 49ers have decided to go with Sam Darnold as their number two quarterback over Trey Lance. So uh, Trey Lance should be out there and available. What a mess, man. Giving up all they did for the number three pick only to have a complete bust situation, at least in that city for Trey Lance. Wow. What and then replaced by a number, number three pick. Yeah, another bust, Sam yeah. Darnold. Uh, and all of that so that the last pick in the draft <laughs> can come off of uh, essentially Tommy John surgery and start. Uh, and start for that. What a weird, given all of the talent they have on that roster, what an incredibly strange situation they have a quarterback. All right. Would you, would you be any interested at, in any way, shape or form? No. Trey Lance. Yeah. Okay. Play wide receiver. I, I, I like, I have no interest <laughs> in him throwing the ball. I don't think he can throw. Okay. If he can run and catch, I mean, he's got some athleticism. So, I mean, I guess I would have interest in an athlete. Yeah. But I don't have any interest in him throwing the ball. No, absolutely not. Not even a little bit. All right. Um, I did write about uh, sort of where the Seahawks are at. We'll talk about that at 7 o'clock. If you have a few minutes, you can go read it ahead of time at seattlesports.com. Find out what's real, what's hype, what's just a little too fragile maybe for our liking. Again, seattlesports.com. KJ Wright joined us as he does every Wednesday, and uh, he was on fire yesterday. You got to hear a few of KJ's different skills in action next on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, it's rare that we triple team uh, Seahawks players, but maybe that's the type of uh, attention Mario Edwards is going to get this year. Make plays and they'll triple team you. They'll start throwing a guard and a tackle, maybe a tight end or even a fullback at you. And we're going to throw Brock and KJ and me all of Mario Edwards for a few minutes here as we continue on Seattle Sports on 710. Mario, good morning. Thanks for spending a few minutes with Mario. us. Mario. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. How's it going, man? Going good. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. So I, I think the thing we all want to know is why Seattle? I mean, you, you wait a little later to sign your contract this year. Why? What, what helped you come to Seattle? 
Uh, it was a lot of familiar faces, uh, even with the player development with LeVar Campbell, who just came here. I played with Nico Thorpe, Darren Bates. Uh, the special team coach was my special team coach in Oakland, so it kind of felt like home. And then when I actually got here, I had a chance to meet with Pete and got a chance to meet a couple of the players. It kind of sealed the deal. You know, Mario, Pete Carroll has been abundantly clear through the years. There will be no hard knocks in my building. The cameras will <laughs> never be inside. I don't want to see and have people on the outside seeing what we're doing on the inside. As you, as Salk said, have been a few different places. You've seen the Seahawks from afar. Now that you're inside the walls, is the reality different than maybe what you perceived it to be? Uh, Definitely. Uh, I mean, this is probably the most well put together team as far as the chemistry here the way the coaches respond to the players and players respond to the coaches and just all together that they work together with each other with all the other places that i've been this is probably the best one how so um i just like the way that they how pete treats his players he's a real players coach um i like the way that they practice here um we're kind of in and out when we practice but we're we're very efficient when we practice um we don't do all this long stuff we get in and out and we work hard but not only that just um, he kind of lets the players take control. Uh, he doesn't let the coaches really say too much. It's really like a player-led team, and the players kind of speak up for it the most time. Most I, got, time. I got to imagine in all of your stops, and you've been to a bunch of different cities, that you've never had a single day of training camp practice with better weather than yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, man. I mean, I was telling people the other day that uh, in training camp, man, we were right here off the water, and we had three Bambis that were out here on the field the other day just eating grass and I said, man, where else would you want to be, man? Next to water, you got some good deer out here. (laughs) Like, what is Bambi? Hey, Mario, tell me about those guys on the defensive line. You playing with uh, a first-year guy, Draymond Jones, Jaren Reed back in the building. You got Mafia out there making plays. What have you seen from those guys so far in camp? Man, like you said, man, they all make plays. Uh, Mafia is going to be amazing, man. His speed getting off the edge, the way he works his hands, and he's so physical. And then with Dre, Dre is just, man, so shifty, man. Mm-hmm. Quick twitch, fast, getting off that ball. And then with Jay Reed, man, he get, he brings a little bit of everything, man. Mm-hmm. He can play that three, he can play that nose. He's going to bring you that hard mouth, nasty type of football. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of fun seeing those guys go out there and me being able to contribute with those guys as well. And Coach Hurd keeps using the word aggressive. Coach Coach Kerr keeps using the word aggressive. When you hear aggressive from those guys, what is that going to look like from a defensive standpoint? Um, Man. Coming off the ball hard, hands, hitting people in the mouth, playing fast, physical to the echo of the whistle. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we've been harping on, uh, running to the ball, chasing the ball, and, you know, knockback. Knockback and penetration is very important. Mm -hmm. Mario Edwards here with us. Mario, can you tell me about this uh, this new pass rush specialist? Right, we know Clint Hurt. We know some of the, the other coaches by name, but but new coach has come in, and this guy has worked with a, a lot of pros over the years. Can you give us some background on him and what he's doing? Uh, B.T. Jordan. I, I worked with B.T. when I was uh, with the Saints. Uh, so I worked with him for about two or three years. And, uh, man, he's doing great, man. He, he, We have our time where we're going to go out there with him and he's going to work the pass rush. And he really emphasizes the turn of the hip. And we uh, really work it. A lot of times people will tell you to go out there and pass rush, but they don't teach you how to pass rush or the steps to pass rush or what to do when you get in a sticky situation. And he kind of breaks down each part of the pass rush. It struck me, Mario, watching you guys yesterday, and I, I think he was one of the one of the fellas. First of all, do you guys, like, tip some of those dudes that have to take you guys on? Like, back in the day, they just used to put a pad up, right, and you hit the pad and you tackle the pad. Now we got, like, real humans out there and some big boys <laughs> that you guys are, like, running into and maneuvering and taking on. Like, I felt bad for them. Like, do you take care of those bodies? <laughs> Yeah, we do, but you'll be funny, man. They actually tell us to come on and hit hit them as hard as we can. And we're like, you serious? They're like, yeah, we got a pad. That's what it's here for. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, 
And Mario, I like to get a little nerdy when it comes to pass rushing. Talking to Cliff Averill, and even watching Cliff Averill and Mike B, just watching the art of pass rushing and the chemistry that you have to have with the man beside you, right? Walk me into, like, when you are rushing as a unit, how all four guys have to be on the same page. Well, you know, all four is one. You know, if you if you have the middle push, and you got to make sure you get the middle push. If the three technique guys is two-way go, you have to make sure everything balanced. And even in practice the other day, you know, uh, getting familiar with my players. You know, mm-hmm. me and Jay Reed looked, and he called me, called my name and just gave me a head nod. And I knew with that head mm-hmm. nod, we had to run a game. So just mm-hmm. getting familiar with your with your guys and to where you don't have to communicate. You just look at him, he looks at you, and you guys are kind of on the same wavelength. Well, hold on just a second, because we just talked about continuity being important in life. Linebacker and secondary, but the big guys you need to keep rotating, and and everybody's got to eat and everybody's got to play. So how do you develop that kind of trust if you're rotating as much as you all like to do as well? Oh, it's all about communication. You know, even when we're in the meeting rooms, you know, if he if he's working with Jay Reed or he's working with Mafe, and he's saying that he likes to run a stunt like this or like that, well, one sometime during the season we're going to be in there today. So I take that note that okay, if I'm working with Dre and Dre likes to work his text game like this. He likes to run his exit like this or vice versa when it's with Jay Reed or how it goes. So once you communicate and you kind of pick up what they like and how they like certain games and stunts and how they like to rush, you kind of figure out how you communicate with them. All right, enough of this D-line talk. Let's talk about the best position group on the football field, them linebackers. <laughs> hey, let's, let's talk about some linebackers. Tell me, man, just I've obviously played with Bobby my entire career. What has it been like having Bobby Wagner in that building just from a physical standpoint what he brings to the table on the football field but also from a leadership standpoint of what he does in the locker room man he, he leads by example he's going to always be the first person in last person out um and man you know you you see it when you're watching film and you're not actually in the building but just man every play and team run or any other play he literally maybe takes a few steps and he knows exactly where mm-hmm. the ball is and it's almost like clockwork it's almost unbelievable. So just to be able to be around a player like that and then he's able to get you a line or he may give you a, a call that puts you in a better position to make a play has just been amazing. Mm-hmm. And you've been on a few teams. Is there any linebackers that you play with that's similar to him or an up-and-young-coming guy that you think would be the next Bobby Wagner? Um, I would say the only type of person I play with that's probably in the same conversation that's that's good and, and makes plays a lot, I would say is uh, Demario Davis. Oh, that's uh, my guy. Double yeah. D. Yeah, yep. well, yep. these linebackers on this team, specifically the guys outside. I mean, there's some physical freaks out there. I mean, watch us being a practice and seeing Boye run at his size, seeing Daryl Taylor and the way he's built, seeing Derek Hall and his gigantic legs. <laughs> w- which of those guys has sort of that most physical freakiness? Um, man, they they're all uh, freaky in their own way. Uh, but I would say that during this camp, man. Uh, Daryl, I mean, um, D. Hall's long arm has been very scary, mm-hmm. man. Just mm-hmm. being able to see how he lift those damn offensive linemen up off their feet and mm-hmm. put them on their butt, that's been very freakish to me mm-hmm. in his size. What do you make of the shorts? <laughs> <laughs> I told him he's going to he gonna have to pull them down some for me, man. They're a little too short. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, we're, I think we're all in agreement there. Hey, Mario, last question for me, and I'm going to ask KJ this later and, and over the weeks ahead. Because you've had the opportunity to play in de- different defensive schemes, what makes, in your mind, a great defensive coordinator? Ooh. Um, I would say one that, that listens to his players. 
Um, you know, we can all draw, draw it up on X's and O's, but when you're out there and the bullets are flying, if you see something, you know, just being able to come back and communicate and then actually being able to change it versus someone being stuck in their own ways and saying running like this, running like that, just being able to communicate and work with your player. Mm. Like that answer. Good stuff, man. This was fun. Thanks for doing this with us uh, this morning. I know you got a lot to do and uh, practice to get to today and meetings and everything else. We won't take up any more of your time, but thanks for spending a few minutes with us, and uh, we'll talk again. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Mario. All right. right, No problem. There's Mario Edwards, Jr., Seahawks defensive lineman, and uh, poor KJ. He can't talk D-line for that long. It's just uh, at some point you got to move it along to the linebackers. There's something about being a lot of places, though, <laughs> and having that background and stickers from a lot of different organizations and well, coming here. growing up in it, too, right? His Correct. dad his dad was an NFL player, mm-hmm. so he was around the locker rooms. Mm-hmm. I think I heard him. Was it with Wyman and Bob that he told the story? It was like one day he found out that like not everyone's parent was in the NFL. <laughs> he was like at school, like, hey, what team does your dad play for? And they were like... Huh? What are you? What are you talking about? Like, oh, doesn't your dad? Does he play for the Bills? Does he play for like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not everybody's dad plays in the NFL, man. Yeah, yep. and what five, five teams? Yeah, so he's been around and, and, and certainly understands the way this league works. That's for mm-hmm. sure. But Pete resonates. And that communication resonates, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that just jumps out for the Julian Loves and the Mario's and the new guys that have come in here that, that we listen to. I don't think they can believe it's kind of not too dissimilar, Salk, to Rojas yesterday. So the Mariners make a trade three weeks ago, bringing a couple new players from the Arizona Diamondbacks. And so they're thrust right into this playoff push, meeting all these new teammates midseason. I mean, even beyond midseason, KJ. And to hear Rojas say, gosh, this team is so loose, yeah. yet we work so hard. Yeah. What Schlereth said, like, I don't even think these guys realize how hard they're working because the competition is so fun. Like, he mm-hmm. just creates, and the culture there is one that just creates. Mm-hmm. The walls were shaking yesterday, KJ. Were they? <laughs> oh, they had a couple of days off, right? They, they yeah. had Sunday off, Monday the players were off. So yesterday, like, we do our show in the building, and during break, I walk out, and, and the wall, and, like, the, the cabinets are oh, like shaking that. because the music is just blasting in the team mm-hmm. room, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there's probably free throw competition or some other fun stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But how does Pete navigate that looseness <clears throat> with that Competition. He just has a fine balance of he knows when to let you go hard and they know when to pull the reins back. Oh, guys, I need you to give me everything you got. We're going to put the pads on, cleats on, go out there music blasting. But, hey, I need you to do this for two or three days and we're going to scale it back. Walk through tempo. Put on the tennis shoes. Put on your hat. But dial into the details. Mm-hmm. Dial into the focus. And so he just has this yin and yang to him, this up and down to him. Like he knows how to get the best out of guys. When I ask you to do something, I need you to do it. I'm, we're going to work our tails off. We're going to go hard. Now scale it back. Yeah. Let's, t- let's have it to our minds a little bit. So he just has a real unique balance of I need to get the best out of these guys from a physical standpoint. But when we put on the shirts and tennis shoes, and you guys to tap into your mental as well. I got to ask Morris' question because she's been right on this here for a couple of weeks, and, and I got to throw it at you specifically about the the need for rookies in training camp. How important are these practices for specifically the rookies? Because Morris said a few times she gets nervous about the amount of time missed by these rookies right now. Well, I said you could see it with Rashad Penny having like a finger issue his rookie year. He kind of got off to a slower start. Like LJ mm-hmm. Collier had a, an ankle injury. It just seems like even, even a ankle. few weeks can set a guy back yeah. a lot his rookie season. LJ took a shot at the Seahawks, by the way. Y'all see yeah, that? Kind of. <laughs> Yeah. It was kind of a shot. Yeah. I didn't think it was really. We you played really it Friday. It was a shot? G no, said no. it was shady. <laughs> I said it wasn't that shady. Like, what's the preseason, LJ? What is he supposed to say? 
Like, oh, uh, don't say was, anything. Don't it, say anything right. about they, Seattle. No. You don't say anything. They asked him how it was different. He was like, hey, no, no disrespect, but those guys didn't know how to use me. And these guys are like, what is he supposed to say? I stunk there. And I stink now? I mean, like, what, what do you want the guy to say? Come on. That's Th- not thank fair. Thank you, Seals, for drafting me first round. He I'm, did I'm, say all that stuff. He did say all that. Okay, man. so Devin's out. I can't believe I'm defending Jackson's. <laughs> Jackson's now out. Uh, Mike Morris is now out. You go through the list. Ola, Kenny Timmy McIntosh is now. Ola's out. Like, McIntosh bro, is out. That's six. Six of their guys. And, and Mara, think about it. These guys are out in practice. Right, you're missing reps. You're missing learning the scheme. You're missing developing the chemistry with your teammates. In what two weeks? Yep. Cooper Cup is coming into town. And in two weeks, Aaron Donald is coming. Matt Stafford is coming into town. And you want to get all of those that that stuff done in training camp. You don't want to do that week one of the regular season. And um, but they're going to have to step up. They're going to have to grow up at some point in time. But you don't want to see that happen week one. You worried two, about three. Devin? Of all of those, Jackson's played. He's gotten a lot of work in. The others were going to be somewhat role players. Derek Hall's been available. Man, mm-hmm. he gets mentioned a bunch. Schlereth said the exact same thing as yeah. Mario, as you've said. Like this dude's just grown man. Mississippi mm-hmm. strength is different. So there have been some of them gotten their work, and Charbonnet's getting his work. But are you getting concerned about Devin right now? From a Expectation standpoint. We Number took, five pick, highest ever. <laughs> we took you this high. We expect you to be on the football field and OTAs and training camp and preseason. We want, we expect this from you from an expectation, from a standpoint, and from a uh, coaching and management standpoint, yes. Now, from a physical standpoint, he's battling a hammy. Yes. All he do is run. All he does is run from sideline to sideline, going from nickel, quick twitch, 40, 50 yards down the field, that's a lot of that's a lot of mileage that you gotta put on that hamstring. Mm-hmm. So what look they, at him look at Mora. Look how nice he is. Yeah. He keeps <laughs> looking at Mora to help yeah. answer her. Like, that, you, KJ, you're so kind. <laughs> He's a teacher. Huh? So kind. So what they have to do is take those expectations off of him. Hey, you're our guy, but we can't throw you in the fire week mm-hmm. one. You signed a four year contract. This is a long duration of you're going to be our but guy. KJ, they got Jalen Carter out there balling in Philly. You but can't. KJ, he's a number five pick. <laughs> but KJ, you mentioned the name Jody Allen. But KJ, twenty three million guarantee. But KJ, he's number five overall. Listen, I don't need <laughs> Devin in September. I need this young man in November and December. And so I know even as coaches, they can get antsy like, this is our guy. We got to play him. We got to show that he's the one. No. Slow. What's what's the old old bull, young bull? Y'all know that saying? Y'all know the old bull, young bull story? Yeah. Do you know the story? I you do know, like the story. know the story. No, I know the story. Don't flee. It's not like you and the Princess Bride. I know about the. You, <laughs> yes, I know about the two bulls. Fa- the, to the fan base, to the fans, listen. One day I'm gonna explain the old bull and young bull story. You have to take that old bull approach to Devin Witherspoon. He's hurt. He's battling. Slow and steady wins the race. The tortoise yeah. and the hare. Mm-hmm. I know That's that one too. One. <laughs> I know that one too. So you got to take that approach. I don't believe that phone. one too. By the way, that hare's um, going to beat the tortoise. Yeah. That's not right, man. That hare's going to win every time. Like that, I've never really liked. <laughs> Even that a one. hare with one leg hopping is going to be a Seriously. turtle. Seriously, uh, suck it up. I've been to the tortoise races, turtle races at bars and stuff at night. Those things do not move fast. Trust me. Yeah. You know who is going to participate in September? I think just based on where a lot of these injuries are, is Jake Bobo. I'm watching these games, and I'm looking at the fact Jackson Smith and Jigba's hurt. We'll see if he can go week one. When Pete said three to four weeks yesterday, he's not playing week, he's one. Not playing week one. Nope. That's my gut. 
You got Drake D. Eskridge Young. is hurt and isn't going to be here Spended. for the first six weeks of the season. Quite frankly, I'd be happy to never see him again. And you've got uh, Derek Young is going to have hip surgery in all likelihood. Oh, he's having surgery? Yeah, he's got a core he's issue. He's got a little core yeah, hip thing, yeah. so that doesn't look good. Is Jake Bobo your third wide receiver when the season starts? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, is there and, anybody else who's jumped out to you more so than him at the wide receiver spot? Uh, Landers a little bit. Speedy guy. He's a toss uh, rookie. Yeah, has some speed to him. He's the one from Auburn Arkansas. or Arkansas. Arkansas. Dude, that guy can run. He can run. Very inconsistent. But he's also hurt. Yeah. Jake Bobo was out with the ones. I was getting in a little argument with one of our media buddies. May or may not. I used to work in this building. Oh. And he was trying to tell me Bobo's not making the team. What? I'm, I'm like, he'll be practice squad. They're going to get. Who I'm, said that? I'm not going to mention the name. Okay. Same initials as mine. I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> I was like, bro, he, who went out with the ones? Who did Pete highlight in the press conference yesterday say, you know what we need to do? Go back and watch Charbonnet's run and watch him block and knock two dudes down. If on they that wanted him drive. on the practice squad, they wouldn't mention his name. Correct. Right? They'd yeah. be as quiet about it as possible. I don't see who the third wide receiver is right now if it's not him. And did you, is it Cade Johnson or, I mean, like some of these other guys? And did you guys see the routes that Boba ran in week one and week two? He's out there, big six foot four frame, and he just comes smoother, you know, just slicker, slicker than ever. Runs a slant. Yep. No, I'm not. I'm running a slant and go wide open both times. The way he can maneuver his body, just how smooth he is, the way he can go up there and high point the ball. He's a guy that I believe that Geno's can trust. Like, you got to be able to trust yep. your receiver. I've heard Joe Juravicious. Remember that? You yep. played against Joe. I've heard that. Now, he's not as big as Joe. Mm-hmm. Joe was like 6'6. Six, six. Brock, you know who this guy is? He's Jeff Smorja. Yeah. From Notre Dame. Wasn't yeah. he a tight end? No. Oh, he, he was, was a wide receiver? Okay. He was a wide receiver. A big, yeah. like, long-haired. Yeah. He was a pitcher, too. Yes. Right? Pitched for the Cubs. Yes. yes. This is exactly who Bobo is. <laughs> and a guy that just has a knack for getting wide open. And when he does get his hands on the ball, when the offensive coordinator does drop a play for him, hey, this is, this is your route tree. This is what you do well. Mm-hmm. We're going to utilize your skill set and bring out the best okay. in you. Right, KJ, we got, five we, we got about five minutes. Here, it's KJ, time. you're going to break news. You're going to tell the people something that has never been said before about this play. Wow. All right. Here we go. This I don't was... want to talk Super Bowl. No Super Bowl, please. Oh, KJ says no. We have no choice. Let's go. <laughs> we have no choice. Let's go. <laughs> like moths to a flame, everyone is with this play. So uh, Richard Sherman and Pete Carroll talked yesterday on Sherm's podcast. KJ's got his head in his hands already. And yes, they did discuss the famous final play of the Super Bowl. Infamous. Yeah, you guys are so mad at me and so pissed. We're hurt. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could feel it the way I should feel it. But, you know, that, you gotta play, keep that play just happened. Yeah. It wasn't like by design. It wasn't. There was no agenda. That play just happened. You guys couldn't hear it for years. But when we got down there, if remember, we had one timeout. Mm. And so as soon as we got there, I said, one of these plays, we're going to have to throw it to get all four plays. Because I'm always in, make sure that we have a chance to get all four shots. So we run the first play. And I think what happened is Bill's late. He sends in the goal line team. Mm -hmm. And we had already sent in 11. That went through the the play callers. Mm -hmm. And that's what led them to throw it on that down. It had nothing to do with anything else. We've practiced it a million times. It was just the way we had prepared. So I was rock solid on, on the philosophy of it. Mm-hmm. It right. just was the worst play that could ever happen. You know? And the guy makes a, <laughs> he a, made a, a play, play of a lifetime. I, I, I a play of a career, career for everybody's career, really. <laughs> and, it, and it turned all of that so dark, so instantly. And I, if you remember, my moment was, I've been down and think, oh, shit, i got to take this. You know? I thought this is the, one of those moments that you prepare for. you got to be the epitome of poise, handle it, and own it. There's nothing you can say that's going to, 
put it any other place. It was just as catastrophic as any moment could be. But the thing was, had we won that game, we'd have we won the won next another. year. We'd have won again because <laughs> we went back to the playoffs anyway. What? Again, after with all the crumble. <laughs> it was a great team, man. Yeah. We were a great team. Why is Sherm so easy on them? Listen, I'm going to say this. First and foremost, I love Coach Carroll. That's, that's my guy. And any time that we bring up this subject, I, I just go to a place that I don't like going. But you see red. You get angry. I, I, bro, I, I don't get angry. I get my, my heart just starts aching. My heart really starts aching whenever we do have to talk about this. And um, I talked about it with everyone. I talked about it with Luke, with Jermaine, with me. But I talked about it with everyone. And when it does get brought up again, it's like it just takes me to a space that I want to be in. So we can dive more into it in the next segment. But um, he said a lot right there. He said, uh, he said, you guys couldn't hear it for years. No, to this day, I still. <laughs> but he was saying what you can't hear was that it wasn't an agenda. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, I don't. No, we, we can move past You don't that. believe that. No, I mean, no, we no. talked about that before. No, he wouldn't dare do such a thing. But I can't, I can't hear anything, but we lost and my dreams was crushed. That's all that I could see. And that's I get all that. I, mean. I think that makes perfect sense. That's, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I think what, what Pete, if I could interpret for Pete, I think what he's saying is we, we got screwed up. It didn't work out. The other guy made an unbelievable play. And I think Pete is sort of saying it was the wrong play call, but that the philosophy, at least maybe that's what I want to hear because it's what I think, but that the philosophy he's saying was right. Yeah. You were going to have to throw it once. Be in order to get all four plays, yeah. and there was no agenda. Yeah, no, those not, two things shouldn't be even in question. How could those two things even be doubted? No, 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 no agenda. But when you look at what they were in, I saw Darrell Revis, Malcolm Butler, Brandon Browner, and my, my history of, of running goal line in the safety. There's not that many corners on the football field. Yeah, that's just that's just what I see in my history. We don't run corners when it comes to goal line. And um, just take it a step further with the philosophy of the play call. There's philosophy and there's what you should do. There's philosophy and there's what you should do, Mike. You give me that Geno smirk right now. (laughs) I disagree with you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, man. I just, I I could, I don't, I don't, I don't need philosophy at this point. If this is too hard, you can leave. (laughs) If if, if you don't want to go there, I'm going to give you every right. Well, he did end up sticking around for a while. And uh, if you want to hear the rest of the chat with KJ, you can go to seattlesports.com and every single Wednesday at uh, 8 o'clock, KJ will be with us throughout the entire football season for a full hour. So uh, make sure you're listening to that. Download it. Subscribe to it, etc. Brock will be in here just a moment. And uh, I found myself thinking a lot about the Seahawks bandwagon that people seem to be, uh, I don't know, attracted to right now from around the country. Is it real? Is it not real? Is it fragile in between? I wrote about it at salesports.com and we'll discuss next on Brock and Salk.